This is the Matt Townsend Show. Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. Your guide on the side. If we're not wholeheartedly in our relationship, then we probably are always looking for exit strategies. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Leanna Tan, here to give you some of Matt's best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. So I was on the train the other day, and there was this seasoned couple who invited me to sit by them, and we got to talking, and I found out that they were spending some of their retirement money to do service missions together around the world. So they both had retired, and instead of just staying home, they were going out into the world and traveling and helping people and going on African safaris and discovering the Pacific Islands. And I told them that that was my dream. I love doing stuff like that, and that's how I would love to retire. So I asked them what advice they had for a newlywed couple like myself in order for me to be able to have that kind of retirement in 40 years. And they told me to save. They talked about how they had to kind of give and take things here and there over the years and learn to collaborate on where they would spend their money. You know, maybe their kids didn't always have the brand name clothes or whatever. But because they were so wise about their money and chose to value their marriage over fighting about money, there they were, over 50 years of happy marriage later, sitting in front of me, serving their sixth mission. But not all stories these days have that kind of happily ever after, and maybe it's because they didn't even really have a happy start to begin with. Money problems and financial disagreements are one of the leading factors in divorce today. Money really has nothing to do with the promises you make to your partner in marriage, but somehow it tends to weasel its way in there and tear relationships apart. So how can we prevent that from happening? I want to dedicate today's entire episode to this topic. How can we keep money from ruining our relationships and rather have it be a building block of progression? This first interview is with Sybil Solomon. She brought up a really good point. It's not that couples are fighting about money itself, but what money means to them. So we're bringing on Sybil. Sybil's going to help us through this. Sybil, are you on the phone with us? I am, and I'm looking forward to to attacking this incredible topic. <laughs> I am too, and, and we need your expertise because apparently the money thing's important. Yeah, the money thing is really important. And the relationship, the inter- the relationship thing's important too as well. Yeah, and the interesting thing is you made the comment earlier that is money really the number one reason that couples fight and couples get divorced? And you're going to see that number over and over again. And it, it comes up, it's always in the top three. It's uh, in-laws, money, and children. Oh, wow. Um, however, the reality is when people are arguing about money and mm-hmm. they're fighting about money, they're never really fighting about money. That's not the real deal, is it? Nope. They're there's... fighting about what does money mean to them. Yeah, there's something deeper down that's uh and and that's interesting because then we got to we got to not only fight about the money or that's where we go probably because i guess it's the easier thing we think to talk about than getting down to the real meaning underneath the money right so let's talk about just talking about money when you grew up did your parents talk about money in your house um no right so we didn't talk about that that was a secret Aha. Uh-huh. That's really common. So frequently what happens is when we're growing up, we get the message that you shouldn't talk about money. Either that money is really private, so you never ask anybody what they earn or how much something costs. And by the way, that's 
that's something that's very cultural in the United States. In other countries, that's not true. Yeah, but just, in our yeah. country, that's very true. Right? So mm-hmm. we learn, don't talk about money. Don't share any information. Don't ask any of those questions. And we typically don't have any idea how our parents made money decisions. How did they decide whether to spend 100000 or 200000 or $500,000 on a house? You know, how much money are they going to spend on gifts? They don't usually talk about it. That's so true. And I guess it's almost more like if somebody, you know, if you can qualify for the house, that's just how you decide. <laughs> we qualified. So, you know, the banks think I'm good. Right. Well, we're not going to go there today. <laughs> yeah. That is true. That- but, I mean, that's the deal is, I guess the point is we're not, we're not necessarily even talking or choosing. We're just kind of maybe reacting to our money as we go. Right. And when we talk about, like, buying a house, the typical kind of thing that happens is that one person will do exactly what you said. They'll say, well, the bank thinks that we can afford it, and we can do this, and we should go for the maximum, get the biggest house we can, the nicest house in the most expensive good school area. And the other one might be saying, well, no, I'd much rather have some money so we have a nest egg, so Mm -hmm. that we have a cushion, and we don't really need to live in that neighborhood, and we don't need an extra 1,000 square feet. Um, so, again, they're not really arguing about money. They're arguing about lifestyle. One is talking about the status of a neighborhood, the status of having a big house. Maybe they're still trying to prove to their parents that they've made it, that they are you know, they're, deserve to be respected, where the other one might feel like, you know, it's a house. Yeah. You know, I just want to be comfortable, and that, that's it. And, and then we bring these concepts, these ideas of, and I bring mine, you bring yours. We come into a marriage. I guess we assume similarity that we're, you know, we're on the same page. Hello, we're married. And, and then all of a sudden we start making these purchases. Um, so I guess part of it, so you're saying the deeper issue is just the meaning behind the the what the money means what what are some more things that money mean what 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 are the meanings of it to other people okay so there's for example for some people money means status that they can spend the money to impress people they want to make a good impression on other people and that might mean when they go out to eat they have to pay for other people it might mean they only get their hair done at a certain place or that they'll only buy clothes at certain stores with certain brands. Um, For some people, it's their children. You know, they'll pass on stuff for themselves, but their children have to go to the best schools, or they have to have the latest brands for sneakers, and they have to have the iPhone. Um, So whatever status might mean to one person may be different than another person, but frequently that need to be accepted, to have people look up to you and think that you're okay is a big motivator yeah. for money. And that's, I mean, that's interesting because that gets, that, that's so divisive. That's so, um, and it, it's so constant because that, that's yeah. something that's ingrained kind of deep in you. <laughs> and how do you get that? And we'll talk about this eventually. I, we'd love your solutions for how we talk out some of these things. But my, my idea of status is, is huge. I guess another one's power. Yes, power can come across in a lot of different ways. And a lot of times people who really care about security, they use money for control and for power. Hmm. Um, If you have more money, maybe in a couple, 
one person is earning all of the money or a lot more money than the other, and then the question is, does that person get more of a say? Uh, I would like to think, no, they don't, but the reality is in many relationships, the more money you earn, the more that person feels they should have more power. But the interesting thing is, in a couple, a lot of times the person who is earning more money, they are not the one that feels like they should have more say. They may be perfectly into sharing equally and all of that, and it may be their spouse Mm. who automatically feels inferior or doesn't have the self-confidence and gives them the power whether or not they ask for it. Yeah, that's true. And that, that, yeah, and maybe even, yeah, holds a grudge because, or maybe guilt that they're not producing more. Isn't that, it's just so complicated, isn't it? The tangled web. (laughs) It is. is. Let's just, since you brought that up, let me jump into one thing that we're going to have to talk about here quickly. Mm -hmm. And that's um, how do people divide up money? And I had one uh, person who was clergy say that it used to be when people slept together, that was what consummated the marriage. And that's no longer true in many cases. And what's more true is when they decide to share their money and be completely open about their money, that's what consummates the relationship. That's interesting, because there isn't that true that um, by keeping it divided, it it does impact your, your divorce rates or your other kind of commitment. Well, it may and it may not. Um, when I was interviewing a lot of couples, I had some couples tell me that the husband said to the wife when they got married, "We're going to do, we're going to split everything by the percentage of what we earn hmm. in terms of paying bills, but you're going to have all of your money separate from me." And the reason behind that was he said his mother was always dependent upon the father, and he didn't want his wife to ever feel like she had to be dependent upon him. Hmm. He was always willing to give her money. That wasn't the yeah. issue. But he wanted to make sure that she, she had independent. her own money. Well, yeah, and that's, uh, I guess, and that's something that, we, that ends up being negotiated, as I guess with all of this. One, one little argument at a time, one purchase at a time, doesn't it? <laughs> right. So what happens if the two of you are keeping your money separately and the wife says, you know, that sofa... It's really getting old, and I think we need to replace it. And I just found a sofa. It cost $1,000. I think we should get it. And the husband says, I don't think we should get the sofa. We don't really need it. I don't even use that sofa. Yeah. Yeah. And why spend $1,000? We could get one for 200 if you really want a new one. So then do they agree and collaborate on what they're going to do, or does one say, well, I have enough money in my discretionary account. I'll just pay for it. With my money. Mm. You know, you don't have to agree with me. I'll just go ahead and do it. And I think it's those kinds of things where people say, I've got the money to do it. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And they don't talk to each other. They don't come to any kind of agreement. That's when you start really wearing away. And it starts chipping it away, doesn't it? It does. Interesting. See, Sybil, we're going to take a break. That I I love uh, this idea that... um, it's communication, and it's creating habits of being able to talk about it. So we'll be back now. As we were talking about with Sybil, the financial plans you know, are something we should all be thinking about. Um, and the reality is we just don't. And so when we come back, we're going to get into these financial issues. We're going to give you some other tools and hopefully uh, 
give you everything you need to be able to go and communicate more effectively with your partner about the moolah. You're, ta- you're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back. I'm Leanna Tan. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about money and the dangers and benefits it has to marriage. Our guest Sybil Solomon brought up a good point in the last interview that people don't really fight about money. They fight about what money means to them. And that's so true, right? Money is just an object. It's really just paper or numbers on a screen, but it symbolizes different things to different people. Maybe it means status or success or power to you. So by someone interfering and telling you you can't buy this or that or by spending it in the wrong place, you might feel like one of your values is being tampered with. Well, if we don't send our kids to the best school, they might not come out as smart or talented. And then how will we feel or look as parents? Well, if I don't buy this size of house or that model of car, people are going to think that I'm poor or I'm struggling or that I'm incompetent at my job. And a lot of times, people bring on this feeling of inferiority on themselves. I think if we all take a moment to think about it, we realize that this is a message that we all need to hear. We shouldn't need any amount of money to tell us what we are worth or to show others what we are worth. So thinking back to what I talked about before, sometimes not everyone has a happily ever after like it seemed that couple I met on the train had. And possibly that's because they didn't have a happy beginning. What I mean by that is a lot of times things are unearthed about your partner once you get married. And random financial surprises, especially at the beginning of a marriage, can really shake a new couple. So let's continue listening to this interview where Matt and Sybil talk about what kinds of things you need to address before marriage and during serious dating or engagement. We're going to bring on Sybil Solomon. Hi, it's good to be back. And okay, so one of the biggest issues that causes problems for people when the, the first year that they get married mm-hmm. is that they feel like they've married their best friend and they really care about each other. And then when they find out that they've never talked about debt and they find out that the person that they married has student loans, that the car that they've been driving um, isn't paid for that all those dates that they went out and all those special gifts that they gave each other went on credit cards. And that ring that she's sporting. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the the first big areas... Surprise! Surprise is that people feel betrayed when they suddenly find out that there's all of this debt. Because once you get married, you're sharing the debt. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, gee. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry to hear about that. You have a legal responsibility for a lot of that debt as well. And for some people, that is incredibly overwhelming. So before anybody gets married, I think it's just as a very basic thing, it's really important to share um, how much money you have and how much money you owe Mm -hmm. and how you feel about debt. You know, some people are very comfortable owing $5,000, $10,000, even more. Other people... If they can't pay off their credit card bill at the end of the month, if they owe $100, they are, like, really, really upset about that. Yeah. Um, so it's it's truly important that people talk about those things. Well, and it's uh, it, it almost seems obvious, but I guess it's kind of like with other topics. When you're in love, 
it doesn't matter. But you're saying, you know what, it's, it can be preventative, and some of it could just be starting to create. By having these conversations early, you're just starting to share your views about money and your views about status and power, and uh, you could probably prevent some. Now, what are, what are some ways that we actually get into communicating? So for those couples out there who have never been able to um, bridge the gap and talk about their, their, their money issues, you know, that have already been struggling with it for years, or for those newlyweds, what are some ways that we can actually more effectively talk it out? Okay. So first, there's four different ways that couples typically communicate. And I think it's helpful if people think about what, what is it that they, they do. Mm-hmm. So the first one is that they concur. They agree. They don't talk about it, but they automatically either don't spend money or spend money or agree to do certain things, and it's never spoken about. So you might have two people who are not particularly good with money, and they spend too much money on gifts or they spend too much money going out to dinner, and they just don't talk about it. Right. Um, so it's not good or bad. It might be working fine, but it's they don't have conversation. Um, they may collaborate, and that's when, when they're really talking about working together. So this is something that we want. What are we going to sacrifice in order to get it? How are we going to earn more money in order to get it? What will the trade-offs be? Um, what will you do? What will I do? Uh, so that collaboration is really what we're all looking for. And some people do a great job of that. But when you think about what are the trade-offs as opposed to what am I going to have to give up? And I think that's where we get into a lot of trouble. When right. we think about compromising, it seems like one person's always the one that's compromising more. Mm-hmm. But if we think about trade-offs, it becomes a little more easy. Well, and it's yeah, a little easier. And it's kind of, I guess it's what we're giving up too. I mean, uh, it could be one person never eats out and just packs a lunch every morning and the other eats out every day. And that now we're arguing about eating out, which sounds like some little petty thing, but you might seriously hold a grudge against somebody that won't even make their own lunch. Just pack a lunch. Um, and it, it, but it's, you gotta, you gotta learn to, to work through the, the issue, I guess, and both give a little bit, huh? Right. But then there's also the question of, it's not just spending the money on lunch. The person who's eating lunch with other people is that really their social outlet for, exactly. for their life? Is that really where they're um, taking a break for the day? And maybe they're eating out, but they're not spending money on other things that their spouse is spending on. So yeah. you know, how people spend money, what's important to them, what does that money represent? And, and that's so why they react so mad, because, hey, this is important to me, this is my social life, but yet we're just making it about money. Right. Hmm. So you've led into the next form of communication, which is conflict. And typically, the two places where people do a lot of talking is either if they're collaborating or if they're in conflict. And conflict is the easy one. You know you and the other person disagree, and you're fighting about it. But there's another one that's a quiet kind of conflict, which is collusion. And when people collude, they're angry about what the other person does. They're angry that the other person's spending money getting the extras on the car, the extras on the cell phone, or that they're eating out more often, but they don't say anything. Is that like more and, passive, huh? That's like a... Or is it just that we don't know? 
I mean, what, how does... Well, if they're colluding, you know. You know. They know. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't talk about it. And then what you have is you start having a lack of trust because when people collude, they typically tend to do something underhanded to get back at them. Mm-hmm. So maybe they know that um, their husband gets a bonus, but the husband's ne- they know that the husband's not telling them about the bonus. So what they do is instead of saying, hey, what happened to the bonus you usually get, they just go out and they spend money. Yeah, throw it now down the on the credit card. Bed. Yeah, Right. So they're, they're, um, they're being mean to each other. Right. Uh, and they're not being honest. And then you have all kinds of trust issues. So first you want people to think about how do they t- co- communicate right now about money? Are they concurring or collaborating? And are they conflicting or colluding? And... You know, how, what's the benefit for what they're doing, and what's the downside of it, right? So let's say that they've done that, and now they're saying, you know what, we really would like to communicate more openly. What do you think would be the first step to somebody communicating more openly? About about their money? Yeah. I mean, maybe it's, um, I, I, I would probably want to defer to the other and have them try to help me understand their view of what money means to them and what, what it doesn't mean. Ah, okay. So you're on the right path. If you really want to talk about money, what you really don't want to do is to start by talking about money. Right. You don't want to start talking about budgets. You don't want to start talking about investments. You want to get to what are people's experiences with money. Hmm. So, for example, when you were growing up, how did you get money? Did you have an allowance? I stole it, Sybil. You stole it? Flat out stole it. No, we would find it in our couch. It was the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. It was a money machine. It was a deep couch from the 70s, and there was always money in there. I love it. Do you think your parents intentionally let more money fall out of their pockets? No, I don't think they... I, I don't think... It, it wasn't even my parents. We invited a lot of uh, other people over, and we would just shake the money out of them. Into, I love it. <laughs> really, like I, as a kid, if I needed to go to the store, we would start digging in the couch. And we know we're going to find something there. But we would work for it, right? We did chores. My, uh, we'd go work for my dad at his office, and he'd give us money. Okay. And so then that becomes a question. Did you have an allowance? Did you work for it? Did you get money as gifts? When you got money as gifts... Was there an expectation? Could you spend the money on anything that you wanted? Were you expected to save part of it? Were you expected to give part of it away? See, these are, this is about understanding the other, this is, right? This is about trying to get a feel for where they've come from. Yes, you want to know what those messages are in the back of your brain. So let me give you a really quick um, metaphor to think about. When... When we make decisions about money, we think that we're being really very logical. Mm-hmm. But when we connect the brain up to do brain scans and we let people make money decisions while they're connected, it's not typically the logical part of the brain that lights up. It's the emotional part of the brain. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so if you think about the logical part of the brain being the rider, somebody who is on top of an elephant, and the elephant is the emotional part. When everything is going well, all the messages that you've gotten in the past, you are in sync, you've eaten, you've gotten enough sleep, you're having a good day. 
wherever the writer wants you to go, which may be go to the bank and put your paycheck in there and save money, walk past the store where they're having a sale on your favorite stuff, wherever the writer wants you to go, the elephant and the writer go in the same direction and everything's going great. Right. But if anything triggers that elephant, all those emotions, and the elephant is like, oh, no. Look out. There's something more important. Yeah. Yes, look out. <laughs> it's going to go in the other direction. That's so true. That's a great metaphor, and I think if you, if you can kind of separate it that way, it's going it, it to it, it maybe create some space for you to go make better decisions. We're talking to, again, Sybil Solomon, who really, she knows her stuff, money, habitudes. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. I'm Leanna Tan, and this is The Matt Townsend Show. I really liked that last part of the interview. Sybil talked about four ways people talk about money, concurring, conflicting, colluding, or collaborating. And she said that it's so important to understand your partner's upbringing with finances because it will affect the way they think about money in your marriage. One concept Sybil brought up that I think is really important is that the biggest issue generally in the first year of marriage is dealing with debt. And this is one point that I really agree with. I saw a lot of different people in my life struggle through their marriage with financial and debt problems. And I saw my close friends' marriages torn apart very early on and watched as loved ones sunk deeper and deeper into debt and arguments about money left and right. So one thing my husband and I decided to do was take a finance class together before we were even engaged. Then we would do our homework assignments together so that we were very open with each other about our money. We showed each other our bank accounts and our savings, and we talked very thoroughly about what was important to us to spend our money on. And we even practiced making and sticking to a budget together while we were just dating. So we got to see into each other's financial minds a lot. And I'm not going to say that this completely prevented us from ever disagreeing about money. I mean, no matter how close you are or how long you've known each other, I think combining accounts and being financially responsible for and with another person is definitely a transition and it will pose problems. But I do think that we were able to avoid a lot of deep pitfalls by practicing before we got married and engagements itself and planning for a wedding was a lot of practice. So another thing that we decided was that we weren't going to go into debt. It was both of our goals to graduate without debt, and this meant that we didn't always live in the nicest houses or near campus or that we had to work extra hard and extra long hours. But so far, we aren't in debt. I graduated without debt. He is working his way there, and it's really nice to have one less thing to worry about in marriage. I can definitely see how being debt-free takes off a lot of stress and strain from a relationship, especially when the unexpected hits. Luckily with us, when medical bills hit hard unexpectedly, we weren't swimming in debt, so we were able to dodge that curveball and keep moving on without a lot of stress or strain on our relationship. But I know we're just starting out and we have a long way to go, so I know what you might be thinking. Okay, well, I didn't really have the means to be debt-free when I got married, or 
the unexpected happened way before I even had time to prepare and I haven't been able to fight my way out. Or, well, maybe I started out my marriage like that, but now we're knee-deep in financial drama in my house. So is there still a way to salvage your relationship? Is there still a way that you can learn and deal with money no matter what stage you're in? The answer is yes. So for this next half of today's episode, I want to play another interview like the last one we heard where we listen to a guest, Matt Bell, talk about ways we can keep our money from ruining our relationships and how we can understand ours and our partner's money habits better. So money, I mean, it seems like the problem can't be we all have too much money, right? So the problem must be we just don't know how to talk about the money. Is that it? You know, there's a lot um, going on there. I mean, especially, you know, money's troubling enough for a lot of us, uh, regardless of whether we're married or not. Right, if you're by yourself, yeah. Yeah, but once you get married, now you've got this clash of, of different upbringings and different expectations and different habits and practices and different temperaments. And so it's just this minefield that, that many couples find it difficult to navigate. Is it, um, I guess this is an age-old issue, right? This has been going on forever, and it must be because this, is, this isn't just the economy. I'm sure it's worse during bad economic times. But it also gets back to some very deep-rooted issues of power, right, of control, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting that, you know, people say that opposites attract, but actually the research says that, that on many dimensions, um, op- people that, that tend to be attracted to a marriage partner that is very similar to them on many dimensions, but money is not one of them. Money tends to be a topic that people tend to differ on. They tend to be attracted, like spenders tend to be attracted to savers and vice versa, and that's kind of cute and fun when you're engaged or just dating, but then you get married, and it's maybe not so cute anymore. <laughs> yeah, now. Now it's just annoying. Now you, it's interesting because you started your career as a radio journalist. How did you, how did you eventually get to this topic? It was through the School of Hard Knocks. I mean, it started out uh, great. I, I got an inheritance, unexpected inheritance from an uncle when I was in my 20s. I was working in radio, as you mentioned, and, uh, and I enjoyed that, that career. But I thought, wow, this is an opportunity to do anything. And, I mean, it was 60 grand, which, you know, let's put it in context. But still, it seemed like all the money in the world to mm. me. And so, long story short, I created my dream job. I loved to golf and travel, so I created a newsletter for golfers who travel. And uh, two years later, I was twenty grand in debt. So, uh, very humbling, very embarrassing to wake up to the, the fact that I had squandered this amazing opportunity. But it was life-changing. It really got me in the game and got me focused and got me interested in figuring out the whole financial thing. And it's become my life's work. Mm. That's powerful because – and you also you, – you went about solving your own problem. That's what one of the things I see with a lot of experts that we interview. They just had to figure out their own answers and why not research it and then share it. Yeah, there's nothing like having been there and done that. I mean I feel like it adds some credibility when I get up in front of people and I talk about the fact that I've, I once had $20,000 of credit card debt and that was depressing, literally. It was humbling. It was difficult. It, it took me four and a half years to pay it all, all off and a lot of people have debt so I can relate. I know what that feels like and I know the path of how to get out and stay out. You wrote a book titled uh, uh, Money and Marriage. Is when you think about it, as far as you know, having kind of gone through it and and survived it, for the hopeless person out there that's thinking, "Ugh, I'm done. I'm sick and tired of having these fights about it." Is can you learn this, and can you eventually, you know, create a healthy relationship on money? Absolutely. I mean, it, it starts with being teachable, and 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 that's a difficult place sometimes. People sometimes have. Uh, a difficult financial situation, but they want the easy way out. They want the the quick path. And 
And, you know, unfortunately, it's probably not going to be a quick path out. You know, for me, like I said, it took me four and a half years. And, and during that time, that was difficult. I wanted to get out of debt faster. But looking back, I, I, it took that much time to not only change some financial habits and practices, but to change my mindset around money, the way I thought about money, some of the attitudes and, and beliefs I had about money. And that's become a path that has, has had traction. It, is, it has stayed present in my life. And so for sure, someone who's struggling, someone who's listening to this that's, that's under a lot of debt or other types of financial stress, Absolutely. And it starts with that commitment. And then there are a lot of resources and a lot of sources of encouragement out there and available to you. Mm. Mm. Talk about it. Let's get into some of the 10 ways. Your article was in Forbes magazine, if I recall, 10 ways to prevent money from ruining your marriage. Uh, The first one, don't set yourself up for disaster. I guess that's not getting into debt quickly. What is that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times uh, couples, you know, the, the, your wedding day is a big day. You know, I get that. that that's true for, you know, that's just a fact. Um, but, but so many couples do themselves long-term damage by throwing the elaborate wedding, the wedding they can't really afford. The average cost of a wedding today is over twenty-five grand, and that's just the average. Mm. It gets much higher than that in, in some of the bigger cities. And so make that commitment from the beginning that, hey, we can have a nice wedding, but we're not going to go into debt for this. We, Let's make it a memorable day, but let's not have the memory be that for the next five years we have this huge bill that we have to pay. That's so true. They, I mean, you got to – if you all of a sudden burden yourself with debt, you're starting out in a hole. Yeah, and, and debt is like a cancer in marriage. I mean, there's a lot of research out there, and I think it's intuitive for anybody like myself who's been there and done that with debt – um, it's destructive in your relationship with the person you're going to spend your life with. It, it creates stress. It creates sometimes the blame game. So don't get your marriage off to the wrong start by, by starting out with a bunch of debt. So true. Um, also discuss your demons. A lot of times when we're getting married, we don't, we don't want the demons to come out until, you know, we're well into the marriage. So uh, how, what are some of the demons we should be watching for? There are so many, and that's why in, in the book I wrote about money and marriage, that it starts with a whole bunch of questions that I encourage couples to talk through, because there's so much from our backgrounds. You know, we're getting married later in life these days, and so you know, the longer you wait, the, the more you have time to build up some of these habits, and, and your, your upbringing, how your parents did the whole money thing. Did they fight about money? Were they stressed about money? Was there never enough money? Um, talk about uh, some of your early experiences. Like I said, I had this difficult experience with debts, or were there some memorable experiences in your own life or perhaps a, an ancestor's life that, that shaped your view of money? Start to just talk and be a student of each other and, and create that open environment where you can really talk, tell the truth about some of your experiences and some of your expectations around money. Mm. Again, I can just see, because I see so many clients and they come and we start talking and there were even signs before the marriage of these problems, but we're so enamored with each other. We just, we give each other the benefit of the doubt so much, but down the road, you know, the negativity seeps in and, and we we might even make up demons that don't exist. And we certainly uh, avoid certain discussions too early in the relationship. We got to find a way to talk about the real issues. That's right. And, and we've got to create a way, and like I said, that safe environment where the other person can truly feel okay about opening up about some things. Because otherwise, it will eventually come to, to the surface, and, and sometimes in some really troubling ways, you know, after, after you're down the road a little bit. 
Um, I tell a story in the book. It may sound kind of, you know, not like such a big deal, but when we got when we were engaged, um, and that's when we had our first argument, my wife Jude and I. So we never really fought about things while we were dating, but then we got engaged. And it was in registering for gifts, as crazy as that sounds, <laughs> that we realized we had such a big difference in how we, we view things like design. So I liked modern design. She liked more traditional, more intricate you know, patterns and things. And so as we started to choose gifts that other people were going to spend their money on, it wasn't even our money, um, we, we actually had a pretty serious disagreement about that. Uh, because I started to realize that everything down the road that we're going to purchase from now on, I may have to accept something that I don't really like. And so it was ultimately helpful to start moving toward each other on that. But there are things like that that you don't even realize what's lurking underneath until you start talking about it. It's so so true. Um, And, I mean, these are – everybody has a different mindset about not just even their art and what they – you know, you can buy a pair of – $600 $600 shoes. Hello? Um, no, you can't. So we fight about shoes, but the, but there's deeper issues going on. One of your points is to understand your partner's money mindset, how they think and see money. Talk about some things we can do. What can we do to understand how they think about money? Yeah. One of the most powerful things, I think, is to understand each other's temperament. This has been huge for me. And so you know, there's different ways to classify temperaments and, and kind of define temperaments, but the, the longest-running one dates all the way back to Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, where he defined the, the choleric, the sanguine, the phlegmatic, and the, um, yes, I always forget them when I start rattling them off, and the melancholy. <laughs> and, and so if you start to understand that these are how, these are elements of how you're designed, this isn't going to change for you. And so if you devote your life to changing your spouse on something like temperament, it's going to be a difficult life. They're not going to change. And so, but if you understand each other's temperament, their natural wirings, yours and theirs, now you can start to see the implications for money. So, for example, a sanguine. A sanguine is a very outgoing, life of the party, really enjoyable sort of person to be with. You know, everybody loves sanguines. But when it comes to using a budget, sanguines have no time for that, no patience for that. So if you're going to devote your life to getting your sanguine spouse to love the budget, give up on it. It's not going to happen. You know, just get them to drop their receipts in the vicinity of your computer where you be the one to enter the information into your budget. Um, so there's some information in the book on how to understand your own temperament and your spouse's temperament. But, man, it is so revealing when you really get that and you start to see the financial implications of that and can begin to orient how you're going to manage money together around each other's strengths instead of trying to change a weakness. That is such a valuable insight um, because you can be a, a strong organizer, um, but – Fine. Instead of complaining about it, hating it, and keep assuming they're going to change, just be the one that does what you want to do. Just do it. Like, I mean, I guess that's easier said than done, except you can fight the sanguine, as you're saying, um, or you can understand them and do what you can to include them in your method. That's right. And and it takes some time. But if you're really thoughtful about this, and I think that's one of the most enjoyable aspects of marriage. My wife and I have been married for 17 years now. You know, be a be a lifelong student of your spouse. That's a that's a fun thing to do, a great approach to it. 
and you'll you'll uncover new aspects to their personality over time, and you'll learn to work through these things. But but temperament is so helpful. So you know the phlegmatic. So my wife's primary temperament type is is melancholy, or secondary is phlegmatic. We usually have a primary and a secondary. The phlegmatic is kind of slow and steady. So they like to take their time with things in the restaurant. They want to see all the options, and when they're going to research a purchase, they want to really get the details. A little bit harder time pulling the trigger, making the decision. And so I'm thankful that some of my wiring, I'm primarily choleric, secondary melancholy. So I, I can encourage her to make decisions maybe more quickly, but I can also force the issue, and that doesn't work so well. So we've had to learn to figure out how do these different temperaments work together over time. That's great. Uh, be a lifelong student of your spouse. It just it seems like a no-brainer. We'll take a break. Stick with us, folks. We'll continue the discussion, helping you love stronger and staying financially solvent as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Today's Matt Townsend episode. We just got a big dose of financial advice in our last segment from Matt Bell. He says that just because you have money problems in your relationship now doesn't mean a death sentence. You can learn to deal with money as a couple if you're willing to put in time, effort, and patience. So there's still hope. And he talked about the demons of marriage and how debt can really have a negative effect on couples but how different spending habits isn't necessarily bad. They can balance both partners out, and if you understand your partner's habits, then you can use each other's differences to become strengths. So we're going to wrap up today's episode by hearing some specific things that we can do to be on the same page as our partners and to start mending those wounds and fostering good financial communication. So continue uh, teaching us some of the principles. What about uh, you know getting on the same page? Yeah, getting on the same page is is really important, and that takes a number of different forms. I mean, one of the most important things is it's having common goals, and and that is often not natural. We don't tend to naturally gravitate toward the same things. I mean, men and women in general tend to value different things. Uh, uh, So men tend to value electronic gear. Women tend to value travel, things like that. And, of course, you know, individuals are, are unique in these areas as well. So, you know, again, it comes back to conversation, and it, and it gets down to prioritizing things, and it gets down to, you know, leadership in the household. I think sometimes the, the best thing in a marriage is to be sacrificial toward your spouse. And so, you know, look, if they want to pursue a certain vacation this year, and that might prevent you from getting the, you know, kayak you wanted to buy, well, so be it. I mean, hopefully uh, we've got long lives to live, and so we can get the kayak next year. Um, hmm. So it's really about conversation and working together and, and you know, as, as it may not, this may not sound like the most appealing idea perhaps to single people, but, but you know, it's really about dying to self. And um, that really, I, I have found, I'm not perfect at it certainly, but, but I think that that's a great way to approach marriage and, and certainly when talking about these different financial goals that we all have. It's almost the perfect test, right? I mean, to make a marriage work, there has to be a level of selflessness, of sacrifice, and it, it just seems like many of us are surprised by the fact that that has to happen. 
Yeah, that's so right. I mean, I got married in my 30s, and I remember it was kind of like a light switch. I, I started thinking differently when I realized I was ready to be married. I, I wasn't ready before that. I was way too into doing my thing whenever I wanted to. And, and uh, you know, and, and that is okay for a time, you know, but, but when you're going to get married, now it's got to be perhaps you're excited about um, being with this other person and discovering what they're into and, and seeing if you can find some common ground. Mm. You, um, you, you bring up the phrase, you say, don't ignore the B word. And I'm assuming the B word is budget. Yeah, absolutely. People are terrified of doing a budget, or is it just they're, they, they don't know how? What is it? Well, they hate the idea because of preconceived notions. I, I ask people in workshops, if a budget were a person, who would it be? And you know, people <laughs> typically say Scrooge or the Grinch, and one person even said the devil. You know, wow. budget yeah. gets a bad rap as a bad PR person or something. Um, but, but I think of a budget as really the single most powerful tool that people can use to manage money well. Um, people that use a budget describe it as freeing because now you have information. Now you know where your money's going, and you can be more intentional about how to use it um, toward some of your most important goals. And within the context of marriage, so we use an online budget tool that we also have our investment accounts tied into. Either one of us at any moment, if we have Internet access, whether at home or you know, through our phone, we can pull up in, in very short order, how are we doing financially? How much have we spent on groceries this month so far compared to the amount that we intended to spend on groceries this month? And, and that's freeing. That's powerful because that enables you to not go in debt. That enables you to have the money for the fun stuff like vacations and, and other things like that. Hmm. And you, again, it's it becomes this pattern that can keep you on track, right? I mean, the the very f- fact that you have a system to keep you on track it's 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 the reason why most of us don't drive off on the dirt uh, when we're just you know going to grandma's house because there's a road there, and we once we have the road there and the path there, it's just even if you're not consciously paying attention, you can stay on the path. Yeah, it, it's accountability. And people find that when they just start using a budget, even if they don't quite get it right the first time, and nobody gets it right the first time, but if they just start using one, they tend to start spending less because they know they're going to have to write it down or it's going to be captured electronically. And, and look, a budget is not about deprivation. It's, I don't even like the term frugal, actually. Mm. I, I, I like the phrase spending smart. And, and with a budget, you can spend smart. You can allocate the money toward the things that really matter. You can hopefully get together at a moment of low emotion and calmly talk through your priorities and your objectives and figure it out. You know, you've only got so much money coming in each month. How are we going to allocate that? You do that together. You agree on that together. And now you're tracking it and, and actually proactively managing it. It, it actually it, it works out really well. Hmm. One of the biggest things I've seen that is a sign that you're off target with your spouse is the minute you ha- you have secrets and you're hiding yeah. stuff you one of your rules is to stop keeping the secrets create transparency yeah and that's where a budget can really help um there're a variety of uh, research studies out there on this topic that they talk about financial infidelity you know something like 70% of married couples uh you know one spouse believes it's okay to keep secrets um uh, from the other person financially. And, and you know what? That's not helpful in a marriage. Mm. And so what I encourage couples to do is I say before marriage, full financial disclosure, and after marriage, complete financial transparency. 
So, like I said, we either one of us can pull up our financial situation within a minute. We just have to log on to our, our budget, and we can see now there's transparency. So there isn't really an opportunity to be keeping secrets now. You've, you've built in a structure in your life that prevents you from keeping secrets. And what do you think about uh, merging accounts? I've seen a lot of couples that think, you know, I'll keep my money, you keep your money, and then that way we don't have to have these fights about money because we'll just always have our own money. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the roommate approach. Right. And that's not, not really the marriage approach. You know, the mar- marriage is really about oneness. And I'm all about looking at ways that we can arrange our use of money that fosters oneness in marriage. And so I, I advocate uh, joint accounts wherever possible. Some accounts you can't make a joint account, like an individual retirement account. It's an individual retirement account. But the accounts you can merge and have it be a joint account, like a checking account or a savings account, I encourage people to have those be joint accounts because, again, it fosters accountability, communication, and teamwork. Mm. You bring up in your article um, the need to give each other space, but you also use a term that I love, and this is these are kind of two of your points in one. Um, you call it cost per use. So when you're purchasing something, you, you suggest we evaluate it using kind of a cost per use mentality. It's an interesting idea. It's not original to me, so I want to uh, acknowledge that, but, but it's, a, it's a great concept. I really like it. It's the idea that, you know, again, we talked about goals earlier, and so if your goal is to buy an expensive pair of shoes, well, okay, maybe we can make that happen, but let's th- maybe it's helpful to think about, you know, how often are you going to use those? It'll be for a very fancy occasion, and so maybe over the next two years, maybe there are 10 of those occasions. So you divide the cost of those shoes by 10, and you get your cost per use versus, you know, maybe we want a, a better TV. We're tired of that uh, huge monster black and white thing that, you know, doesn't even work very well. And, you know, as a family, maybe we watch TV um, several times a week. And so you look at the cost of use of that and you say, actually, maybe that's a better investment of our resources because we're going to be using that more mm. frequently. And and then, because it is, it's a, it's a way to, that's how we usually justify not buying a boat, Right. Because it's only four yeah. times a year, and the neighbors are, you know, the neighbors never use their boat. Um, this, I guess, comes down to how we're going to treat each other, right? And one of your points um, is remember the golden rule. Yeah, I mean, treat each other as you as you you want to be treated yourself is a is a great principle. Um, I even like I've heard a number of people talking about the platinum rule: treat people how they want to be mm. treated. So that gets back to the temperament thing, where you understand how they're wired up, and and so maybe that takes it beyond how what you might want. Now it's about thinking about what they might want, and and that changes that dynamic there a little bit as well. Um, but there's, there's some great research out there about disagreements. And so people say, oh, I, we never fight about money. I actually don't like to hear that. that. That concerns me a little bit because I don't think it's very realistic. We're always going to have some clashes. And so I think the more interesting and, and more helpful way to think about it is how are we going to have disagreements? And um, one of the researchers whose work I really like is a guy named John Gottman. He's been studying marriages yeah. for decades now. And he talks about the fact that, that how you fight is really um, indicative of the health of the marriage. And so you want to make sure that you're, it's okay to complain about things. You can say, look, you know, we overspent in entertainment this month. Okay, that's a complaint. But don't make it a criticism. Don't make it personal. You know, how could you be so insensitive to spend so much money without you know, talking to me about that first? Well, now it's starting to get 
personal, that's not so good for a marriage. And, and a guideline that he offers, I think, is especially helpful is to say, listen especially for any words that sound contemptuous. So if you're really taking your, your spouse to task in such a way that, it, that it's contemptuous, you know, that, he says, is a real red flag that that marriage is in trouble. Now it's not a financial disagreement anymore. Now it's much deeper than that. So it's okay to complain, not, not so great to criticize, and definitely watch out for the use of, of contempt. Mm. And when you get to a point where, I guess, you... You're not making any ground. You're turning to contemptuousness. You're angry at each other. You can't get headway. You don't know how to make a budget. You suggest you call for reinforcements. I guess that could be financial reinforcements, but also therapists, coaches, whatever. Yeah, for sure. Life coaches, therapists, good friends. I mean, uh, you know, if, if the couple is a church-going couple, perhaps there's a small group at, at church that they could get involved in, and, and that can just foster some really healthy, um, perhaps modeling from other couples of, of a healthy marriage, but just really an atmosphere to be able to figure out the whole marriage thing out loud. Um, bringing in some outside um, unbiased sources can be really, really helpful. So true. And Honestly, a a breath of fresh air, really. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. I really like how he introduced this concept of financial fidelity, creating transparency and fostering trust so that money isn't always a demon in your home. I thought it was so interesting how he said that so many couples are afraid of using a budget because it seems daunting or difficult, but that budgeting is the single most powerful tool in money management. Someone wise once told me that money isn't a destination, it's the means to an end. So yes, we can all be financially wise and have money to travel the world serving people with our retirement like that couple I met on the train, but that isn't what created their happily ever after. It was the sacrifice for each other and the patience and the love they learned through the practices of good money management over the years that really made wherever they ended up in the world a happily ever after, regardless of the price. Well, thank you all for listening to today's episode. I'm Leanna Tan, bringing you the best tidbits to help you live healthier, happier lives. Join me again next time for another episode of Matt Townsend.